Katie, how's it going? Pretty good, Jesse. But I had this like very weird dream about you last night. This makes me nervous, but go ahead. Okay, so I dreamt that you came out to me as a pedophile. <laughs> but here's the weird part. You were black. Wait. So it was I need to give me a second to process this as they say. So it was it was just me looking the way I look, but with darker skin. Yeah, you had the same hair. You were just you were just you were a black pedophile. Frizzy, Jewy hair, but I was black and I was a pedophile. Yeah. And I defended you. You came out you came out to like me and all of my neighbors for some reason and everybody was really appalled by it. And I was like, guys, don't be racist. So in this dream, uh I get on a plane at JFK. I fly across the country, midway my skin changes color. I arrive at your neighborhood and decide the first thing I'm gonna do to come out as a pedophile is to inform you and your neighbors. Yeah, I mean I can only imagine that this was prescient somehow. Anything you that would you like to tell tell the podcast listeners? <laughs> I mean, I don't identify as white because race is stupid. So I guess uh in some fuzzy sense. As I've said before, we're all uh, we're all African if you go back far enough. That is true. That is true. Um there's something else I wanted to talk to you about. Go ahead. Well, so you know that we have this merch store. Barpod.org. We do. So we have been threatening to close down the merch store because the merch store isn't actually doing very well. But I had an idea for how to maybe rejuvenate the merch store a little bit instead of shutting it down. As long as it's less offensive than the pedophile thing, I'm all ears. I think I think you'll like this one better. Okay, picture this. An airbrush t-shirt, like the kind that you would get like at a at a fair or maybe like Coney Island or something like that. And it's this this gorgeous photo, this gorgeous image of a horse with a long flowing mane and then in cursive script it says jesse's girl (laughs) i uh you know i had a feeling you were going in that direction um yes i think for for the purposes of this yes that would be incredible it'd be highly erotic if any of our listeners want to go ahead and create that shirt send me the image what's uh what's in this podcast this is blocked and reported and i'm katie herzog and i'm jesse single and today we are talking about what are we talking about um we're gonna talk about stonks yeah stonks how people make their money that's right and glenn greenwald why don't we start with stonks do you understand stonks can you like do you like (laughs) okay i think we should preface this by saying like this is going to be a fairly short segment because we'll, we'll see how long it actually is but neither one of neither one of us despite the fact that you're jewish has any idea how the stock market works (laughs) jesus christ yeah, you can't build a fence. Fuck you. I built I built half of a fence and then hired someone to build the other half. You actually embrace the stereotypes. Um, okay, so a, a stonk is a unit of ownership in a company, right? And you can buy it and then it goes up or down and sideways through time? Yeah, I think you want to buy low and sell high. That's the basic rule. No, I think you have that backwards. Okay, so buy high and sell low. Yeah. Well, actually, if you're shorting it, that's what you do. Right. And you can short a stock by saying, I think its value is going to go down. And if it does, I get money. And stonks are just – they exist in this um, – uh, if, if you're a finance professor, an econ professor, and you want to use any of this, please clear it with us first. But stonks are just these these points in space and time that go up or down depending on market forces. And you can make money by investing in a stonk low and selling a stonk high. So far, you're with me, right? More or less. Okay. So GameStop is a video game company that should, shouldn't exist anymore by any, by any conceivable standard of what should and shouldn't exist. It just shouldn't because most people buy video games online. You download them. GameStop is a brick and mortar operation that sells stores. Its stonks were low for a long time or pretty low. And all these experts were like, I bet is we're going to short it. I bet the stonks are going to go even lower. But then a bunch of fucking nerds on Reddit were like, what if we bought a lot of stonks and forced the price higher, which is something called a short squeeze. And then other people will have to buy it as it goes up to, to lose less money for reasons, which can make it go even higher. And in short, that's what happens. And as we record, GameStop is thousands and thousands of percentage points up from where it was, right? Right. So this hedge fund, and I'm not entirely sure what a hedge fund is, it has something to do with rich people putting their money into into the stock markets. Um, but also there are some like pensions and endowments that invest in hedge, hedge funds, but it's not something like lowly podcasters like us probably would not be investing in hedge funds. This is pretty much a like rich person, a pension and an, an endowment thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hedge funds are, are, are for fancy people. Right. And hedge funds are bad as far as like, it, 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 at least in the, in this situation, we don't like hedge funds. No. Although, wait, yeah, I think you asked this online, but it's sometimes the case that if your pension is like 
poorly run, won't pensions sometimes invest in hedge funds? I don't even know that if it's a poorly run thing. I mean, it might be a good investment. Um, you know, they were like the case of Bernie Madoff. That was a hedge fund. A right. bunch of people lost money. And it wasn't just billionaires who lost money on that. It was also like mom and pop investors. I don't know about these particular hedge funds, Melvin Capital and the other Citadel is one. And I don't remember the other was, names. The people shorting GameStop were definitely themselves fancy. I guess the, the question I had, the same one as you, is like how much collateral damage could um, ensue because of uh, – you know, what happened, which this stock is for now through the roof. Right. And so the thing that the hedge funds were doing made sense because GameStop, as you mentioned, really should not be performing well. It's like a blockbuster or a tower records. It's antiquated. It exists in malls mostly. Um, so so GameStop's valuation was low for good reason, which is that the company is, is failing um, because of market forces. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so a bunch of and, – and there's like this very sort of seemingly online – well, okay, so I was going to say online populist, but I don't I don't it's not like the salt of the earth people who are on Wall Street bets, which is like their subreddit where this started. These are like, you know, in some cases people who have money themselves, but the point is they all banded together and they're like we're just going to buy the shit out of GameStop, right? Right, right. As far as I know, that's what happened. Make some money and also do some damage to these hedge fund assholes. Which the so I spoke to a money guy yesterday and he explained it to me like this. The people who were really going to be hurt by this are the people who run the hedge fund because they're gonna they've lost billions of dollars for their clients. So they look terrible. Um but also the people who have invested in these hedge funds, which could potentially also include like some small investors and in, uh, endowments and, and um and pensions and things like this. But mainly the people who are going to be fucked here are two groups the hedge fund managers which is fine we don't like them but also the the people who who glommed on to this at the last minute people like me i went and got a i went and got a, a robin hood account i wasn't able to um buy any of these GameStop stocks because as we'll talk about um robin hood shut down for a day but the people who well robin hood shut down trading you couldn't buy GameStop. For GameStop, right. Yeah. So, but for the other people who, who managed to buy this, like uh, uh, GameStop was at what, like six bucks or something a month ago, and then it went to 18. So if you, if you got in early, you could, and then you sell at the high point, you can make a shit ton of money. If you go ahead and you buy GameStop now, while it costs $400 or whatever, and you don't sell at the right time, you could also end up losing a shit ton of money. So it's also possible that lots of small investors who don't know what they're doing, who heard about this through the media, through Twitter, through Reddit, and jumped in, jumped on the bandwagon are also going to be losing their shirts on this. Yeah. And um, I mean, the, the first thing any sort of smart finance person will tell you after they tell you to just invest in index funds is you you can't time the market or like normal people cannot time the market. They're, they're always bad at it because it's complicated and random. So yeah, there's, I mean, this is sort of what I was worried about. There's also like if you go on Wall Street Bets, uh, the subreddit, there's tremendous pressure to hold and to not sell, despite the pressure to do so, just to like so they can prove their point. Um, inevitably, so they can keep running up the value of the stock. Yes, inevitably, it's going to come back down because it is obviously not a company with. Any, I mean, the whole. I mean, this gets very philosophical because the whole value concept of value is itself in question here, and how Wall Street values companies. Either way, everyone agrees it's not actually worth this much. So. You know, I, I do think there's like maybe a small subset of people who could sell and make tens of thousands of dollars they could really use but are, are not going to because of some point they want to make. But I'm not – you know, I'm just not sure it's worth making a point for that much money. Right. It depends on how much money you have to lose. Right. How much money would I lose to make a point I guess depends on the amount of money and how important the point is. This point seems a little bit vague. Yeah, if the hedge fund manager like fucks your wife or something, this might be worth making the point. But I'm not. Sure. Maybe that's what started all this. Yeah, maybe it is. In a GameStop, he did it in a GameStop. <laughs> that's why. That's actually the root of this. How many people do you think have had sex? It. How many people have had sex in a GameStop? Do you think? I don't think anybody who has ever been in a GameStop has actually had sex. <laughs> So this story is incredibly compli complicated. And of course, because we spend our lives on Twitter, we've been watching lots of people who don't also, who like us also don't understand what is going on, speculate about this. So during the midst of this, uh, this like insane speculation, Robinhood, which is a day trading app, um, I think it's fairly new where just like average people can sign on and like you link your bank account and, and buy and trade stocks. Yeah. I, I use it just for my index fund thing. Nothing fancy. But yeah, it's very easy to use. 
So you actually manage your own index funds? Well, I don't manage them. You just you're supposed to just put a bunch of as much money as you can in and just wait forever. Instead, when the coronavirus hit, I sold, which is exactly what you're not supposed to do. But I'm not. But this like <laughs> this shows you know anecdotally how consistently the stock market goes up because I eventually bought back in and now overall I'm up again, just not as much as I would have been. But you're really supposed you're literally supposed to just put money in an index fund and just wait and not freak out. And I was absolutely an amateur. But yeah, that's... that's I feel like maybe you should hire someone to manage your money for you. That's what I'm taking from this anecdote. Well, but that see, there's this whole thing where like a lot of money managers scam you because they charge a fee. And if they're smart, they'll just put money in an index fund. So like in theory, Robinhood democratizes that. The problem is people try to buy individual stocks, which it like, unless you really know what you're doing, you just shouldn't do. Right. And so the hedge fund guy or the money guy that I talked to yesterday, uh, we were talking about why Robinhood would have taken this step. So Robinhood made it impossible for people to buy more of GameStop as well as AMC, which is the failing um, movie theater company, which is also going through a similar sort of Reddit inspired surge. And so the, the narrative that has spread online, and it's a very appealing narrative, is that Robinhood somehow colluded with these hedge funds to prevent people from, from spiking this price even higher so that it would, it would save the hedge funds. Um, and, and Robinhood, the CEO of Robinhood did a very bad job of explaining what, it, what was going on. Um, and so this, this narrative spread like wildfire and it's, you know, it's incredibly appealing. It's like this company is, is basically colluding to fuck over the little guy, which is in theory its own customer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely complicated. And, and look, there were these like awful quotes from like hedge fund assholes or just, just finance assholes who seemed you know, furious that, that people would engage in these shenanigans, which is sort of ridiculous when you, you know, to pretend that uh, the world of high finance is, is this otherwise noble realm where companies have real objective value and, and people are just trying to do good and produce value is sort of bullshit. And I think that's why it's so easy to root for the, the Wall Street bets folks. Right. And it's so it's legal for a, like a hedge fund manager to go on television and say this stock is is losing value to, to try to drive down the price of the stock or drive up the price of some other stock. Right. But apparently it was too problematic for, uh, you know, a bunch of Reddit trolls to do basically the same thing. Yeah, that's their argument. Although, I mean, no one no one actually thinks it's illegal. And then the problem was Robin Hood literally – as subsequent reporting showed, they didn't have on hand the capital. Or, so I'm going to absolutely butcher this. But like the more volatile things are, if you're Robin Hood, the more money you need on hand, just like in reserves to make sure you don't cause a financial explosion. Um, they did not have enough cash on hand, apparently, or enough capital. That's why they had to temporarily not let people buy GameStop. That seems to have been reported and seems to be ina- uh, seems to be accurate. Which which is different from the storyline that um you know this was some sort of active collusion. But either way, you can understand why people are mad about that because Absolutely. at a moment when these assholes on CNBC are trying to get people to stop buying uh, GameStop, Robinhood just goes ahead and does that. So it was confusing, right? And so I I listened to an interview with the CEO of Robinhood, and he didn't he he sort of vaguely said you know like the SEC requires you to have a certain amount of capital on hand. He didn't say we don't have the capital. He really sort of obfuscated what was going on. However, Robinhood is also um, it's about to have its 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 IPO. So it's sort of also from Robinhood's perspective makes sense that they wouldn't want to come out and say we didn't have enough cash on hand to cover the to cover these bets. Um, the, the the money guy I spoke to yesterday also said that one reason that Robinhood and this was pure speculation, but one reason that Robinhood may have uh, may have you know, cut these people out of the market is because the stock was changing, was it was fluctuating so quickly, it was so volatile that by the time you you clicked buy on your app, the price might have gone up. And so in that way, in that in that sense, it's a way of actually protecting their customers. However, when Robinhood put out a statement saying like, we're trying to protect our customers, the response to that is, fuck you. No, you're not. You're like in bed with Melvin Capital and Citadel. And I saw, I saw, you know, rumors online that Citadel was buying an interest in Robinhood, that this was, that this was really collusion. And that does not appear to be the case. We don't, books will be written about this. Um, Yeah. So, but we just don't know at this point. But right now there's a very appealing narrative that like, you know, this company ironically named Robinhood, you know, fucked over these little investors sort of, you know, for their own ends. 
Yeah, and I totally understand why people responded the way they did to Robin Hood's statement, which could have been clearer. Um, anyway, I'm really just in it for the memes. I think it's hilarious to say stonks instead of stocks. I anything that um, this is maybe a knee jerk opinion of mine, but I, I just think like finance in the U.S. is such a bizarre and untethered from reality enterprise. And of course, people are still sore over the bailout, like the Obama era bailout and people not going to jail. So this is a lot of just lingering resentment that I think is totally understandable because in the last 12 years uh, have not been good to working Americans. Absolutely. And this stuff is so complicated. Just trying to find an explanation for how what's for what a hedge fund is. I was like looking up what a, what is a hedge fund yesterday and I have to to you know stop and like look up the definition of what leverage is. Um What's a stonk? I don't know. What, what is a stonk? stonk? Is. What is a stonk? Um and, you know, and part of that I wonder is like you know how uh how academics have their own sort of nomenclature every every sort of subculture does but it it does seem like it it can be a way of like driving just like it's gatekeeping gate, it's gatekeeping yeah, yeah 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 i mean this stuff clearly like i've never taken a personal finance course this is something that should be taught in fucking high school and college it should be required um i was required to take 14 or i'm sorry to take 16 hours of like humanities courses in college i was not a humanities major i was not required to take a single course on like how to how to balance your own checkbook so i think i mean i'm yeah. I, i'm pretty good at it because i just keep all the patreon money in a pizza box <laughs> i hope you bury it at least, at least under some laundry <laughs> uh is that all we have to say about stonks because this was like sort of this was an interesting example of like everyone's talking about something uh not to get too meta but like we weren't sure how much we could add a value whereas the story we're about to talk about i think we we just know much more about yeah this is one of these cases where we we talked about like maybe trying to get someone in finance on the show but this is honestly so far outside our realm of expertise that i feel like we would be introducing new errors just by having the conversation there are better people to listen to if you want like deep dives on on how this is working that's I mean it's actually interesting to think about at least from our from this nerdy meta point of view cuz like there have been a million explainers about what happened and I think they're accurate. The thing we're about to talk about this whole Lauren Wolf New York Times thing um a I just think you and I frankly can do better than most people explain here and b a lot of the explainers were inaccurate so there's like some debunking for us to do. Right. So um why don't we start there? Should we do an ad break first? Yes, we will be back right after this. Katie, it's that time of the year again, Valentine's Day. This always poses a challenge for me, because as you know, I have a lot of female admirers. And for the 35 years we've been doing this podcast, they have always wanted to send me something special to mark the occasion. The problem is, I am profoundly masculine, intimidatingly so. So my many admirers often have trouble finding me a gift filled with enough man juice to send me. That's why I'm thankful for ManCrates.com, and you should be too if there's a man in your life who you want to celebrate. There are hundreds of unique gift options that guys love, like the flagship best-selling whiskey appreciation crate with handmade whiskey decanter, rock glasses, ice sphere molds, slate coasters, and snacks. Or the exotic meats Grand Bouquet, including boar, buffalo, elk, and venison jerky and assorted salamis in a personalized Pilsner glass that doubles as a vase. Or he'll love the personalized pizza grilling crate with a pizza peel, dough, seasoning, roller, cutter, and four pizza stones. I, of course, have my eye on that one in particular. Personalization makes it special. These man crates come emblazoned with his name for free. You also might want to consider wowing him with the Jerky Heart, a heart-shaped box filled with jerky in 10 different flavors like honey bourbon and whiskey maple. Best of all, whatever man crate you choose, his satisfaction is guaranteed. Right now, get 15% off orders over $99 only at mancrates.com slash barpod. That's 15% off at mancrates.com slash barpod. Mancrates.com slash barpod. Okay, so uh, Yashar Ali, I think he's come up before. He's sort of a gadfly. He's a gossip. Yeah, he's a gossip. He's a media reporter type, independent journalist. He he frequently gets stuff published in big places because he, he's sourced up in journalism. On January 21st, uh, Yashar Ali tweeted the following. Some news. Lauren Wolf, who was an editor on contract for the New York Times, has had her contract canceled after she tweeted what's on the left. Wolf also tweeted what's on the right, but deleted when she learned Biden chose to take his own plane per two sources. So the tweet she got fired for uh, was a photo with the caption, her caption, her tweet, Biden landing at Joint Base Andrews now. I have chills. 
She also tweeted, the pettiness of the Trump admin not sending a military plane to bring him to D.C. as is tradition is mortifying, childish. That turned out to be false. That was apparently Biden's uh, own decision. So at the time of the Chills tweet, the tweet generated some ridicule among both like anti-Democrat lefties like Glenn Greenwald and also among conservatives. Um after she got fired for it, a couple of right-wing outlets like the New York Post picked up the story. The Post, like, sent a photographer to take a photo of her just, like, out, which I thought – you know, journalists do that sometimes, but I thought that was a little bit creepy given that isn't, like, a major story or anything. Um, all right. Enter Josh Sharyar. Uh, they use they, them pronouns. Don't let me misgender them. Or uh, Yeah. So they tweeted – this is the most important thing I've ever written. My friend and my family, Lauren, was just fired by the New York Times after the New York Times was pressured by fascists, Trumpkins, and hypocrites on the right for tweeting that she had, quote, chills after witnessing Biden's landing on the 20th. This tweet went super viral. More than 20,000 retweets it was part of a long storm, also pointing out that, like, Lauren is a good person. She's done good humanitarian journalism. She has a doggo. She shits gold. She shits gold. Uh, the doggo shits gold. Um and and people, a lot of people, quickly settled on two narratives. One is that because Glenn Greenwald had made fun of Lauren, it's his fault. This, of course, makes perfect sense because if you make fun of someone on Twitter, you are then responsible for any bad thing that ever happens to them in that area, right? It's a law. Yeah, it's a law. If you if you criticize someone on Twitter, they automatically get fired. So this was an example of like everyone who hates Glenn Greenwald, which is like a big subset of mainstream journalism, just like deciding this was his fault, which is – Insane. But the other sort of more important storyline was that um, based on Josh Sharyar's tweet, everyone immediately said that a bunch of conservatives and or fascists and who can tell the difference these days, Katie, come on. They all tweeted to the Times or emailed the Times to fire this woman and the Times just instantly caved. That would be a crazy outrageous story, would it not? Oh, absolutely. It would also never happen. <laughs> no. It was Katie, I was trying to build up some narrative tension here. Okay, okay, gotcha. Uh yeah, I mean as you're as you're pointing out, like the New York Times is the New York Times. Every day a million people get mad at the New York Times and demand everyone get fired for any conceivable reason. The idea that someone at the Times would be like, Oh, Glenn Greenwald and some maggot chuds are mad at us. We should fire Lauren Wolf. Just it does not pass the smell test. But this like became canon very quickly. All these big names tweeted that A, she got fired because of one tweet, the Chills tweet, and B, that this was the fault of Glenn Greenwald and and Trumpkins. Um and everyone fascist. tweeted this. And fascists. Everyone tweeted this. Alyssa Milano tweeted this. Like, name a journalist. She tweeted that. She tweeted it. Like, it, it just it became. It was a creepy example of how Twitter makes stuff true just via repetition, right? It was, and it was also sort of hilarious because a lot of the same people who have been asserting that cancel culture doesn't exist, all of a sudden, when this happened, believe in cancel culture, right? Right. Or or, or they. They'll say things like, why aren't the people worried about cancel culture? Why don't they care about this? I mean, we do. Went back when I thought that she'd been fired over one tweet. I said that was ridiculous. And there's like a failure to recognize that a lot of people just are are against people being fired over like one borderline tweet on principle. They assume that when we say cancel culture, we only mean left-wing cancel culture, which has never been the case, right. including the Harper's letter. Right. Um, and then this also comes on the tales of a guy named Will Wilkinson. Was that his name? Um, getting fired from some like lefty think tank because he tweeted a joke about Mike Pence being lynched. Yeah, this was it's a, well, it's like a centrist, center left think tank. But yeah, and and he was in context, he was making a joke about how crazy conservatives are. Um, saying it was that, a funny joke. Yeah, yeah, he clearly no one thought he was actually saying Mike Pence should be lynched. He was pointing out how dumb conservatives are about the concept of unity right now. Like he said, so, the tweet was something. It's been deleted, but the tweet was something like, "If Biden really wants." unity he should he should lynch mike pence the joke being all of these these like people who were who were chanting lynch mike pence at the the capitol riot yes uh he got fired for that which is crazy although he then started a Substack, which is going to do very well and i haven't read it yet but he actually has a piece up about how he thinks cancel culture is not the right framing for what happened to him so um you know, I, I'm, I'm open to that argument. And uh, he is also someone who has who was one of these people who regularly was like, cancel culture doesn't exist over the past year that we've been talking about this. Right. And he, he's sticking to that story now. And and 
you know, cancel culture is a fuzzy term. It's clearly when we say cancel culture, it's just like a shorthanded way of, of pointing to various other stuff. But um, okay. So that was the initial storyline. And the one you still see people disseminating is Lauren Wolf fired for one tweet. Um, and the other thing was like saying Biden gives you chills, like in the hierarchy of bad and cringeworthy New York times tweets, where, where is that's like near the bottom. That's nothing. Right. Right. I mean, it, I guess the argument would be like, well, how can the New York Times be unbiased if they have people on staff? Turns out she wasn't on staff. But if they have, you know, employees tweeting about how excited they are for the Biden administration, everybody knows that the New York Times is is in Biden's camp. Everybody knows that. That is not a joke. I mean, that is not a surprise or like it's not a, a conspiracy. It's true. Yeah. We should. I meant to say this up top, but she worked for something called the Flexible Editing Desk, and that's like this. They help run Times Live, which is that part of the website that's updated live. So she would basically do shifts when it was a heavy news day or when they needed her. She she was very much like like uh, the equivalent of a contract employee, though. As we'll we'll explain in a minute, she didn't even have a contract, but like she was not a staffer there. Um, you know, which frankly probably makes it easier to fire her and that's definitely a conversation worth having is like if i think nicole hannah jones gets fired for for saying biden gives her chills i mean come on that would also never happen no although with her i guess it part so the other thing is like a lot of newspapers still hew to this like sort of outdated divide or idealistic divide where there's the news side which doesn't have opinions and the opinion side which does and what you can say on social media is very much dictated by which basket you fall in that border has been disintegrating, but like old school newspapers like the Times still take it seriously. Um, you know, the arguments get complicated because like obviously news reporters have opinions just like everyone else. I guess pe- people acted like her tweet wasn't bad at all. Like all she was expressing was a preference for democracy over fascism. But I am not saying she should have been fired or even disciplined for it. But it's weird to me that people don't understand why the Times might be concerned about an editor on the news side tweeting something like that. Right. I mean, the tweet, when I saw the tweet, I thought that it was embarrassing and it didn't reflect particularly well of the times because it was such a transparent, uh, you know, endorsement of, of Biden. Clearly not a fireable offense, but it, I did think it did like this tells you a lot about the New York Times. Yes. And um, look, if she had literally tweeted, I, I prefer democracy to fascism, that's one thing. But, you know, you can it it's a vague tweet that you can interpret how you want but it it gives the sense of her being in the bag for Biden which is or or other possibility Biden has sniffed her hair and she is traumatized by it <laughs> that's true that's why she is that's why she has chills it's creepy chills or she could just really like big planes <laughs> The miracle of air. It is. It is. It does seem miraculous that you can put an airplane in the sky sometimes. Oh, it's it great. Really no, I, I, I have a whole unironic take on this, but we can save that for a patron's episode. <laughs> the or maybe she just likes Air Force bases, like yeah. all liberal Times editors do. <laughs> all five-year-olds and uh, five-year-old boys and New York Times editors. <laughs> that would be funny if like this was this was all an entire misunderstanding. She's just like really fixated on airplanes. <laughs> Ugh, okay, we shouldn't laugh. She did lose her job. Uh, Okay, so it will not surprise you to find out things were at least a little bit more complicated than this. Um, So basically what happened is I heard from a Time staffer, and I talked to this staffer on the phone, and this staffer gave a version of the story very, very different from the one that was disseminating online. This staffer is a giant news organization. This staffer is not particularly close to Wolf, but this staffer heard from someone, you know, this is second or third hand, but just a very different story and a story that um jibes much more cleanly with her being fired well let's pause here for a second when you first saw yasher's tweet or the viral thread that she was fired for one tweet what was your initial thought because big institutions are still so shitty at responding to online outrage i initially believed that storyline more or less i didn't really think about it It was just like i also it was advantageous because in some more like uh I'm a bad person sense because it was an example of like, look, you should be worried about people getting fired over tweets. You can't be in favor of this. Did you did you not think it was legit? If you recall, I, I messaged you immediately and I said, I wonder what else is going on. 
Uh, okay. All right. Point to Herzog on this one. I'm just, I'm skeptical of fucking everything that I read on Twitter. Um, you know, I, I also thought like, well, in some ways this is sort of, you know, as terrible as this is, but from a purely tribal perspective, well, this is, this is uh, some ammunition for, for my team, which is the cancel culture is real and is a problem team. Um, but I also, my initial thought was like, there's no fucking way the New York Times would fire somebody over this tweet. We don't it's care. It's not problematic enough. We don't care how many lives are ruined as long as our team has ammunition. That's what it comes exactly. down to. Exactly. It's all about Twitter wars. Right. So like I, I got permission from this time staffer to attribute it to a time staffer, but it's not a time staffer that close to the situation. And I would feel bad and gossipy sort of revealing details. A the details aren't salacious. She didn't like murder someone. It just, it was just like there was more conflict with her employer before this. That's the gist of it. B, we know from reporting and from her own admission that in her claim, one other time she'd gotten a casual warning. Um, cause she had tweeted about, Oh God, how not wearing masks is toxic masculinity. You understand why she had to, you ha you have to tweet something like that. You can't keep such an insight to yourself. It's too important. Uh, absolutely, but that also seems like something that the New York Times would endorse. <laughs> no, well, I guess not on the news side again, or not if you're like a a, a lower tier contractor. But in her claim, um, I forget. Vanity Fair and Washington Post both had stories about this. We'll link to. Um, I know you need to be vague here, but can you give us any insight to like? Was this like Twitter behavior that resulted in her firing or stuff in the office or totally offline? Like, can you give us any more specific sense of, uh, of what, what, what happened? Yeah, it was, it was mostly centered on Twitter, yeah. She probably tweeted support of J.K. Rowling, didn't she? <laughs> yeah, you can tell. She's a big, big turf. Um, so basically what happened was like I, I sent her a note and I presented the stuff I had heard to her and asked if she wanted to comment. Uh she wanted to speak on background, so I can't say the specifics of what she said other than that she she didn't really disagree with most of this, but she presented it in a different light. Like it shouldn't surprise anyone that the, the New York Times version is a little bit more critical of her, casts her in a worse light. Her version casts the Times in a worse light. That's That's a dispute. That's a conflict. What she did say, I could say, is that A, she didn't have a contract. Everyone from the first Yashar tweet said her contract had been canceled. She wasn't on contract. It was like an informal arrangement. And B, she told me she did not know if there had been any right-wing campaign to get her fired. Um, and then she, when I said that and attributed to her, she retweeted it. So Then she got not only fired, she got canceled. For retweeting you. Oh, by yeah, by retweeting by, me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> people are like, "How that monster?" Um, but like, th this is sort of a big deal. Everybody, everybody tweeted that a right wing campaign was why she got fired. I saw some conservatives being like, "I've looked for people calling for her to be fired in my community. I've not seen it. No one's presented evidence." I sent a note to Josh Shariar, asked asked them. Can you provide any evidence? They they declined to comment. I think it was just like completely made up. And this is sort of a sign. You know, I don't want to do that confirmation bias thing where I have a theory that journalism sucks and then any evidence is proof of that. But like, shouldn't it worry us that very big name journalists we rely on just echoed this rumor without checking it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I had to sort of check my own my own bias here um, because – you know, as I mentioned, my first reaction to hearing that she was fired was that it, it was bullshit. And is that because I have, you know, my own bias against the New York Times? Uh, it, it totally could be. And Matt Welch from the Fifth Column podcast in Reason Magazine had an interesting thread, not in response to this thread, but it, it might have been in response to the um, to the Will Wilkinson thread saying, you know, I've I've seen these these online campaigns before when I've had some inside knowledge about the firing. And oftentimes there's something going on in the background that we don't know about. And which is obviously that makes total sense. You know, and I and I had to think about my about it for a second. Like, well, remember the David Shore firing when David Shore, an an analyst, uh, was fired from some Democratic think tank for apparently over over a tweet. Um, my first instinct wasn't to to say, well, you know, maybe there was something else going on in the background. My first instinct was to was to believe it. I, I think it turns out that that was true because the company didn't the company that fired or the, the think tank that fired him didn't they confirm it at some point so yeah yasha monk who um you know atlantic contributor and he started persuasion he reported on that the company civis analytics they initially said 
he wasn't fired over one tweet. Then they asked Yasha to re- like let them retract that statement, which basically acknowledges he was fired over one tweet. The Times put out a statement saying we would never fire someone over one tweet, which a one tweet that could mean it was two tweets or three tweets. That's one thing. But a lot of people, this is the point you're getting to. A lot of people are like, well, it's unfair for them to say that, but not give more details. But from an HR perspective, you can't just spill like there. She could have done something bad and you're not, you're not allowed to say, I, I, a friend of mine, uh, works in sort of like a higher up role at like a big organization. And what he said happens is people get fired and then they, they talk shit about their employer within the ecosystem of the industry. This person's in, they say, you know, they were fired unfairly, but the problem is like, if you're the employer, you, you can't say that they got fired because they were bad or they did something, which I'm not saying is, is the case uh, with Lauren Wolf, but like, the point is the fact that the Times won't give a specific reason is not evidence of anything. That's just employers don't do that. Right. But if you looked at the responses to the tweets, it was, you know, a bunch of people saying like, fuck you, that's not true. I mean, but this is like, this is true. Employers' hands are tied when it comes to, to publicly talking about HR issues. And some uh, some recently have um, – have uh, have sort of like started to step out a little bit on that um but like at the stranger i mentioned this on twitter but at the stranger a couple years ago there was a freelancer who was fired from the paper for a couple reasons the main reason was that she was a bad writer and she was hard to work with my editor didn't like her the other reason was that she was shit talking the paper on facebook and on twitter which everybody could see and after she was fired she tweeted that she quit because they continued to employ me my response to that was to call bullshit on twitter i got a talking to and i had to delete the tweet because obviously the company cannot comment even if it was me and not like the publisher or the like official voice of the paper doing it um my my boss told me wait she got fired and then said she quit because they wouldn't fire you yes How did I forget that? And you won't say her name on this podcast. I actually can't even remember her name. (laughs) That's how bad a writer she was. It was not people. When people hear this, they think I'm talking about Ijoma Oluo because she also said that she quit the paper because or quit. She was a freelancer. She said that she quit writing for the paper because of me. It it was not Ijoma. It was a a freelance food critic whose name I actually can't remember. What a horrible person, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, to, you get fired and then you say, well, I didn't want to work there because of Katie Herzog. And I had never had any interaction with her either, as far (sighs) as I know, like. I, I never met her i will say like um my, my overall take is I, the times has not acquitted itself well it certainly gave the impression they fired her over these tweets maybe there's more there maybe there isn't but like this is like a good example of why you don't have to tweet and and there's this assumption we i have, have to you don't you have, have to. to i have yes to. you katie herzog have to um you don't have to tweet you don't have to share your every opinion you don't have to share how you feel when the play lands. You don't have to share how you feel about the mask. There are plenty of other people doing that. I have had bosses and editors tell me not to tweet about this or that or to delete a tweet. I I am very pro-employee, especially in situations where they don't have protections. But like if your bosses tell you not to tweet about something, you might just have to not tweet about stuff. In the In the – Grand scale of things employers are forced to do or not do, this is not a major imposition, I feel like. It is. You know, I think it gets complicated because let's say you're tweeting about something. Let's say you're not a journalist. Let's say that you work at, you know, the local Walmart and you're tweeting about something, you know, after hours. Do I think that your employer should be able to, you know, control your communication outside of outside of work? I don't. It's a little different when it comes to journalism because you are uh, you're influencing you know, the how people see the paper. And if the paper has the facade of being neutral, and you're saying something like, fuck Donald Trump, I love Joe Biden, Joe Biden can, you know, can come over and, and sleep in my bed or whatever. Well, obviously, that's going to have an impact on how people um, view your coverage. She wasn't a writer for the Times. So I think it's slightly different. Um, like, she, well, she was previously, but this time around. No. Right, right. She was an editor. Yeah. Um, and not a name, not a known quantity. I mean, obviously, it was a fucking embarrassing tweet and she shouldn't have done it. Um, but also, obviously also like that one tweet should not have been a fireable offense. And if there were, you know, if if contractors or, or freelancers had – she wasn't even a contractor. If freelancers had had better work protections, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. I, yeah, I should be clear. Like um, an employer 
firing you for tweeting something totally unrelated to your job or like at a minimum wage job, I think is always ridiculous. I, I mean, more like, you know, if you work for a big investment firm and you write something critical about that investment firm, they might not like that or about like a, a another organization your organization is closely linked to. Those are just like sacrifices you make to have a job and everyone has to make some sacrifice or another to have a job except for us. We can do whatever the fuck we want. Right. I mean – it is not it is not an a like a new principle that you should only shit talk your boss with like not in not in in, in ear range, hearing range of your boss's office right like you have to be smart about this stuff um obviously like there are going to be employers or are, are like have to make rules about this shit because and i feel sort of bad for them because I wonder how much like HR departments now have to deal with fucking social media something that they didn't have to deal with at all like 10 years ago yeah Anyway, but that's really Glenn's problem since Glenn's the head of, uh, of HR at the New York Times. This is Glenn's fault. I mean, the time situation is particularly bad because it seems like I think they just have no – their standards are written va very vaguely in a way where like you could see a million tweets qualifying and getting people in trouble. But right. as we've seen, like if you work at the Times, you can very openly bash other people Your at the Times as long right. as they're on the wrong team. And they're – I mean the whole Barry Weiss thing. Um, public radio, any public radio institution or, or public media institution has a very strict ethics codes when it comes to social media. One that I actually agree with because I think especially when you're publicly funded, the uh, – you've got to keep up the appearance of being neutral. NPR's actual content is so biased lately that I don't know like how much social media is going to change anybody's opinions because you can just turn on the radio and hear their biases. But like I got in trouble for I hosted a show for our local um, public me uh, public television station for uh, for a while, and I got in trouble because I tweeted something about how Donald Trump looked like a smashed pumpkin, and I I, I deleted it because they were right. Like I'd signed the contract, and the contracts really it says it spells out like you you cannot partake in activism online or in person um and you know if you sign the contract i think that you know you can't really like be pissed off when you uh if you get reprimanded for it yeah um i mean you should have, you should have changed your handle to fired for truth and made a big thing about it. <laughs> well you know what? i wasn't actually fired the show got canceled because it wasn't very good but i don't think that had anything to do with my tweets that was more because i'm not a very good host there is this idea like that that for example um you know, if a journalist uh, participates in a Black Lives uh, Matter march, that that shouldn't be seen as any sort of obstacle to them covering that stuff. And I, you know, maybe I'm sort of a stodgy old school traditionalist, but I disagree with that. And I think p the way people frame it is often disingenuous because they'll be like, oh, so you're saying they're not allowed to say Black Lives Matter? Just like you're saying – just like with Lauren Wolf. Oh, so you're saying she's not allowed to prefer, you know, democracy to fascism? It's like – well, no, the problem is she's saying a particular administration she might have to edit stories about gives her chills. And similarly, if someone marches with Black Lives Matter, that's like one particular activist movement. It's not – they don't get to embody the entire concept of, of thinking Black Lives Matter. So I I maintain there should be some journalistic distance, and I think it's hard to know exactly what that should be. But I think people have swung too far in the other direction from like the – the bad old days of like 50,000 foot objectivity and like maybe, maybe Iraq has WMDs. Maybe they don't. No way to know. I think that's bad, but I also think it's bad to have journalists just be outright activists. I, I totally agree with you. And I think we're in the minority on this, at least. Um, at we're least minorities. The, the way the completely. trend is, <laughs> we are minorities for us. We're marginalized. Yeah. I, I just, um, you know, I, I think one of the stronger proponents of, of this view, and maybe we should talk about his essay, Amir year later at some point but like wesley lowry has that whole um in favor of moral clarity yeah and i uh it sure sounds good who could be against moral clarity but but well i mean whose moral clarity are you talking about <laughs> right uh ours because we're the only you know whoever are us whoever us is our our moral clarity um if you actually take that idea I don't know. I, maybe we should just like eventually give that column its due, even though it's very overdue now. But I, I just think there's like actual problems with that. And even you can absolutely be a journalist who thinks Black Lives Matters and who's disgusted by police misconduct, but off, also covers those movements fairly and covers the police fairly. It's like the, at a certain point, you need to try to, you know, have a few feet between yourself and the story because. The people who seem to be the good guys sometimes turn out to be the bad guys, and the, and the people who seem to be the bad guys sometimes turn out to be the good guys. That's like the whole adventure of doing journalism. If if 
what's the point otherwise? Do you think there's any inconsistency or contradiction about being sort of a free speech purist, but also saying like, no, I think there should be limits on what journalists uh, say on Twitter? That's a good question. Um, I think, I don't think anyone, including most free speech purists, would argue that there's no jobs that should have free speech protections. Like if, uh, you know, if if a close aide to President Biden was just bashing the U.S. mercilessly on Twitter, like they were like a tanky, you know, that that makes it harder for the administration to do its job. Similarly, at a newspaper, if like. You know, if a reporter is, is tweeting false stuff all the time or is a conspiracy theorist, there's there's a lot of there's there's points at which your your work you have to not say certain things publicly. And I just I don't view that as a huge sacrifice. I just think in this case the tweet was so mild that even if it was a straw that broke the camel's back, it's just a, a really bad look for the times, even if the story's been oversimplified a little. What do you what do you think about that? Because you're you're even free speechier than I am. Uh, it's it's complicated. I mean, I think that if you sign a contract, like in the case of of public media employees, um, I think you should adhere to the to the uh, terms of the contract. Um, and I think that there are oftentimes very good reasons for limiting what your employees can say uh, say on social media. That said, like we talked about the you know the case of the Tucker Carlson writer who was fired. Um, because of anonymous posts that he that he put online that were apparently racist and I was conflicted about that because this wasn't he wasn't posting this as you know the voice of the Tucker Carlson host this was all anonymous um, and it wasn't done like like presumably uh, like during work hours although he's salaried so that's sort of complicated too Um, you know do I think people should be able to, to like say things anonymously on their own time yeah i kind of think that that i kind of think that should be that should be fair but when you're representing the company well obviously the company also has uh you know the right to fire your ass um if you're making them look bad well a lot of this is just like the the appearance of bias like if a times political reporter had made phone calls for biden do i think that that like on some essential level actually disqualifies them from doing good journalism? No, but I would absolutely think the time should bar them from covering the Biden administration because you fucking volunteered for them. It's like someone who seems very biased might be capable of doing good journalism, but from the organization standpoint, that it's just that whole appearance of conflict thing that matters a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, you know, maybe we should do away with appearances at all. The, my, the media is biased. We can see that. We can see it in the coverage. We can see it you know, uh, in the content itself. Um, but I don't, for some reason, I don't think that this is going to make people trust the media more. No. And I do think like part of the reason Glenn made fun of Wolf is like, this is coming after the, you know, CNN's coverage of the incoming administration has not been good. Brian Stelter, who does some good stuff, like basically, you know, there's a, there's a new press secretary, of course, and people are acting like she's not going to lie. When every press secretary, I mean, it's just, it's very credulous. And you can absolutely say the Trump administration was unusual in its volume of lies, but also that like, these are politicians, they are going to lie. Um, Things are getting more and more partisan in in a way that I think is just bad for journalism all around. (sighs) Except for Blockton reported. Except for Blockton reported. And again, like, I do feel very bad for Lauren Wolf, whatever happened. Like she's, um, you know, she's in her 40s and she wanted to get a full-time job at the times i do think she is a little bit of the victim of this thing you and i are also victims of which is twitter addiction we don't have to worry about it because of what our jobs are but like just that fucking pull of feeling like you have to chime in on everything like it's not good I, i i don't think it's good i don't think it makes me smarter or better i find my mind wandering toward twitter bullshit i've been saying this for years i can't get off it but um you know, Twitter has ruined people's lives. Did you see that she launched a newsletter? No. I was going to suggest we should have her be the third co-host. Guess what it's called? Chills. I know. Yes. Okay. I, saw, I saw it. <laughs> the, the, the everyone have a newsletter thing is like, I don't know. Isn't that, doesn't that kind of have a breaking point when everyone has a newsletter? Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. The Substack bubble certainly seems like it's going to break at some point. You know, I think that she might, this might ultimately be good for her career. Um, sort of like Moira Donegan, right? Moira Donegan was a – she was a freelancer. I don't know who she was freelancing for, but she was a freelancer. And then she made this shitty media men list. And then Katie Royfe was going to 
apparently was uh, supposedly was going to out her as the creator of the shitty media men list um, in Harper's. And Moira outed herself preemptively. And I had never heard of Moira until then. And now she's, you know, I don't know how her, her career was doing before. But I mean, I think she's like she got a book deal. She's published in The Guardian frequently. She was like a column so, there. She had a column. Right, yeah. right. And so these things can. And I think you and I are also examples of this, too. Right. So sometimes if you were in media, if you were in this field where name recognition is is good for you, um, sometimes ultimately these these like cancel campaigns, whether or not this this uh, this one qualifies. Um, um, can ultimately be good for your career. So she might land on her feet. Maybe. We'll see. And she's done some very valuable work with like, um, you know, reporting on rape and war zones, like very, very valuable stuff. Um, I think she should she should be an aviation reporter next. <laughs> she loves planes. What can I say? The gal loves her some planes. Um, I will say the Katie Royfe thing, the Mordonica thing, that's another area where like the version of the story I heard is bears no resemblance to this idea that like, Katie Royfle was just chomping at the bit to dox Maura Donegan. I, from what I heard was like different and much more complicated and does not cast Royfe in as battle light, just for the record. That was an epic shit show, maybe even more than the the shit show over Lauren Wolf. Maybe we should go. I mean, there's like certain shit shows, uh, including Jack Smith, the fourth or in, like where I like, I kind of want to like go back and look back at what happened and like revisit it and be like, was the journalism on this that good? Or... That'd be great. We should do that. I bet we could get uh, get Jack Smith the fourth to uh, to weigh in on that. This is so stupidly provocative for us to just like drop that like controversial canceled dude and then be like, okay, maybe we'll do something like that at some point. Yeah. Well, if you guys want to know who that is, uh, Google him. We won't uh, we won't give the background on this one. He's just a complete monster. Actually, don't Google him. Google him, but don't read the Jezebel version. Read the Katie Herzog version. Oh yeah, you wrote about this. Yeah, I was the defender of Jack Smith the Fourth. That that thing where one of the accusers, as she's whispering to Jezebel that she was like emotionally abused, is talking on her Facebook about how she just loved to fuck the guy even and didn't want a relationship. That's crazy. We'll put a link in the show notes. Also, if you're the editor in chief of the Times and you want to just come on and say exactly what happened to Lauren Wolf, we'd love to have you. That would be totally fine. Yes. Yeah. Uh, anything else on this, Katie? I think that's it. Okay. Normal housekeeping stuff. You can always get in contact with us at blockedandreportedpodcast at gmail.com. You can join our vibrant subreddit. I think we got 2,500 people now. Reddit.com slash r slash blockedandreported. Most importantly, we have a premium subscription service program, whatever. Uh, for $5 a month or more, you, you pick how much you, you donate. But at $5 a month, you get at least three extra episodes a month patreon.com slash blocked reported uh if you give twenty dollars or more you get a monthly shout out uh we're gonna be slightly late on that so we're gonna be do the, doing that for our um first episode of february so if you're a permaband uh tier subscriber you will be getting your shout out you'll get two in february because we missed it uh in january anything else? oh rate and review us apple podcasts send uh Send Katie mean tweets and DMs. Anything else, Katie? I'm someone uh, airbrush a shirt uh, with Jesse's girl on it. (sighs) I'm so tired. Uh, Okay. I think that's it. This has been Blocked and Reported. I'm Jesse Single. And remember, Glenn Greenwald makes all the major personnel decisions in mainstream media. And I'm Katie Herzog. And also remember, the key to beating the stock market is to invest in your local podcast.